everyone, my name is Indre and you are listening to the I Bounce Back podcast. We bring you stories to inspire. There's very little personal freedom. There are laws detailing how you need to behave, even how you get dressed and what you eat and when you can eat. Despite being in London, we were very insulated. Izzy Posen grew up in London, one of the most vibrant and modern cities in the world. However, his life was so far away from all of that. He grew up in London's ultra-Orthodox Jewish community and hardly had any contact with the outside world. Today Izzy is just as connected to the modern world as we all are. This is episode number three and is a story about a life-changing journey. The community I grew up in is in, is in London, um, and despite being in London, in the capital, in one of the biggest cities of the world, um, we were very insulated. We weren't really part of London culture. We lived in, 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 in a couple of blocks together, the whole community, speaking our own language, going to our own schools, not really leaving the community much. Um, there were roughly 10,000 families when, when I left the community five years ago. Izzy, I think not many people are familiar with this ultra-Orthodox world. Could you give us a few insights and explain how are ultra-Orthodox communities different from other Jewish communities? Of course. So there are two, roughly speaking, two communities that go under the name Orthodox. There's a community called the Modern Orthodox Community, and there's a community called Ultra-Orthodox Community, or in Hebrew, Haredi. Now, the difference is, the Modern Orthodox Community, um, whilst adhering to the laws of Halakha, um, so Halakha is the Jewish legal corpus of laws that Orthodox Jews are expected to keep, um, which, which include laws like the Sabbath, that you're not allowed to work on the Sabbath, of kosher, what kind of animals you can and cannot eat, and how you have to prepare food uh, for it to be kosher. Now, modern Orthodox Jews, whilst adhering to all these laws, um, are still part of, of mainstream society. They go to university, they work in mainstream jobs, and so on. Ultra-Orthodox Jews um, have decided that in order to better to be able to adhere to those laws, will have, they have to cut themselves off uh, from society, so they've created insular communities in, uh, in, in countries around the world. Um, so they have their own education systems. Um, they, um, a, a, a lot of them speak, don't speak the language of the country instead, and instead speak Yiddish. Um, and that's the community I grew up in. What are your earliest childhood memories? Can you tell us a little bit about your family you grew up in? Of course. So families are really, really big. Uh, one of the biggest commandments um, that that an ultra-Orthodox Jew can do is have lots of children. An average family in Stamford Hill has like eight children, um, and 10 children is not considered a, a particularly big family. Uh, my family has 10 children. My mom is one of 13. My dad is one of eight. Um, so growing up, we were very, we were always surrounded by family. In, in the block, in the block around my own house, um, that we had lots of uh, cousins, aunts, uncles living. Both of both of my both sets of my grandparents, so my mum's parents and my dad's parents, lived just around the corner. Um, so childhood was really dominated by by family all the time. Seeing uh, family going on um, family celebrations. So there's always 
you know, every week there was a wedding or a bar mitzvah. So bar mitzvah is a coming of age ceremony um, or celebrating a, a new birth that happened on a weekly basis. Um, so there's always lots happening. Well, yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun. And it sounds that you had good memories. But at the same time, in your blog, you write a lot about um, the education and the differences between um, girls' education and boys' education and the fact that it was a culture of fear and darkness. Why was that? The, the community is very authoritarian, very controlled by thousands of rules and by rabbis who you have to listen to. Um, there's very little personal freedom. Um, everything is prescribed. Um, there, are, there are laws detailing from the second you wake up in the morning, detailing exactly how you need to behave, even how you get dressed and what, and what you eat and when you can eat. And growing up, we, went, um, we were sent to special ultra-Orthodox schools um, where instead of studying things that, you know, kids in, in wider society study, like maths, English, history, we just studied religious texts from morning to evening. Um, so that's the, the Torah, the Hebrew Bible, the Talmud, which is commentary on the Torah, and so on. Um, and our school um, also used corporal punishment, hitting um, to discipline. And, uh, it, it, you know, it, it wasn't... It wasn't a very school. School was was quite an unpleasant experience. Very um, uh, not much in terms of child protection. Very run down. Um, very austere. Lots of punishments. Um, long hours of just studying text. Um, so so that's more. So I described earlier the celebrations and the family part of it. Um, but there was also, as you say, a darker side to it. Um, not much choice. Lots of coercion. Lots of rules. Um, and uh, yeah, general lack of freedom. You have talked also about the um, Melamed, who is a teacher, and the fear of him because of the abuse, uh, physical abuse that the kids had to endure. Uh, was it the thing that was known and tolerated by the community? Or could you actually tell someone and ask for help? Um Children in the community go, go to um, the equivalent of primary school. It's called a chayder. A chayder is a Hasidic primary school. It, oftentimes it's illegal and it's it's usually um, primarily to teach religious text. And discipline is there often in the form of corporal punishment. So teachers will have big wooden spoons or sticks on their desks. And when children will be misbehaved, the, the, the teacher called a melamed um, would 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 hit children now of course my parents knew about it but and everyone knows about it. it's not a secret but this is official policy in the community so if i came home and told my parents i was hit they said well next time don't misbehave and you know my dad was was hit when when he was in school so it wasn't something abnormal um it was considered a very normal part of life so these kind of schools were very much focused on the religion and everything what was related to it. Um, when you left the community, what kind of knowledge did you have about general subjects that children normally learn in schools? Very minimal knowledge, uh, almost non-existent. We, we didn't um, have, uh, never, never in, in my whole time of being in school, I never never studied a word of science um, or English or anything like that. So 
um, yeah, I had very minimal knowledge. People, uh, people in, in, in my community are, are generally quite ignorant of very basic bits of knowledge that most people in secular society would be expected to know. For example, um, I remember when I was 16, I remember explaining to a friend of mine um, that Earth is is actually round and not flat. He didn't know it. I knew it um, because I, I, you know, I, I was a bit, a bit of a bookworm, and I and I managed to get hold of of bits and pieces uh, of literature here and there, um, which were generally not available um, to to kids in the community. Another question that I want to touch upon is um, the gender segregation that exists in the community. Could you elaborate a little bit more on that? Because, well, you obviously have sisters and you have a mother, but uh, what kind of relations do boys and girls have if they are not relatives? Of course, gender segregation is very, very austere, very strict. Um, men and women, boys and girls, absolutely do not interact. Um, um, so as a young kid, we were allowed to play with our neighbours of the opposite sex until the age of nine. From the age of nine, um, we were expected to separate from them, and it got even stricter from the age of 13 when we considered an adult in Jewish law. So boys and girls obviously go to different schools, and they're educated to have completely different roles. The men's role is to study the Torah and to lead to be the man in the house and to set the tone set the rules um in the house be the rabbis who are of course only male the women's roles is to be housewives and mothers to bring up good jewish children um and and um there is no interaction so from the age of 13 um until the age of 20 when i left the community the only women i spoke to were my mother my sisters and my grandmother even cousins Female cousins were forbidden, female neighbours um, were forbidden even just to talk to, um, let alone touch or anything like that. When did you start questioning this? When did you start questioning the rules of the community or doubting if it was the right way for you to live? So uh, throughout my teens, um, I started kind of reading more um, classical Jewish literature and I discovered, you know, some books of thinkers, you know, even Jewish thinkers who are, who are a little more open-minded. So there's, uh, for example, a medieval Jewish philosopher called Maimonides, um, who was, you know, an Orthodox Jewish thinker, classical thinker, but he wasn't ultra-Orthodox in the modern sense. So he was a doctor, actually, and studied science. And there are many examples of classical Jewish thinkers and scholars who were much more open to the world. Um, so I started reading a bit more widely obviously within limit like I still couldn't go to the library I still didn't read English but within what was available to me um, from classical Jewish literature I start to read more widely start to question a bit the austerity um, of the community um, you know and, and some of the beliefs that, that were clearly outdated like some of the scientific beliefs that I knew um, weren't true because even classical Jewish thinkers were discussing these these beliefs so I just slowly throughout my teens questioned um more and more every every year I'd kind of question a bit more and um eventually when i was uh, 20 eventually after many years of, of a journey of questioning i kind of came to the realization that i don't really believe in the teachings of the community 
you've mentioned that despite the fact that you were living in London, you were not able to read in English. So your entire upbringing, your mother tongue were Yiddish, right? That's correct. So that's throughout most of my teens. But when I was 18, I, I started um, kind of teaching myself um, English um, and I started reading more widely. So something I didn't mention earlier is that whilst boys are educated um, uh, in Yiddish, girls um, who are not expected to study the Torah, they do get a better English and secular education. So my sisters were growing up and they were learning English. Um, so at that time, I would get, I would start reading uh, the literature they would bring home from school. And I, I kind of practiced reading English. And um, after the age of 18, I, I started reading a little more wider. I got hold of some maths books, some basic science books. Um, and, and the more I read um, kind of wider um, secular literature, um, the more I started to doubt the teachings of my community. You know, I, I saw, you know, the scientific progress that's been made, whereas the teachings of my community who are all kind of archaic and, and superstitious and just my belief system fell apart. You're listening to the I Bounce Back podcast. It is a bi-weekly podcast, so don't forget to subscribe and receive our newest episodes. For more information, visit our website, ibounceback.net. Before a break, our guest Izzy told us that after discovering literature and reading science books, his belief system started slowly falling apart. But one thing is to lose faith. The whole new step is to break the rules and eventually leave the community. It was a point I was I was in yeshiva then. So so yeshiva is like college, but where you, for ultra orthodox Jews, where you study only religious texts. Um, I was in yeshiva, and at that point, I already stopped believing. I was no longer a believer, but I was still completely practicing because it was just a way of life for me by that point. Um, you know, out of habit, I was still practicing. Um, and I decided that I needed to, you know, do active uh, things to kind of break away from this habit of just practicing for no good reason. Um, so I did one day um, stop um, keeping the rules. And I, I do remember it. I do remember the first time. I broke the Sabbath. I used um, technology on the Sabbath, which is forbidden, um, and and it, it was it was quite a big moment. Um, but it was also very liberating. I, I knew from that point on that I'm no longer bound by these by all these rules and regulations. But wasn't it scary in a way? Because you know I have quite a few Jewish friends, and we sometimes discuss that if your entire upbringing is based on fear it must be very, very scary to break the rules for the very first time because you literally don't know what to expect and what can happen to you if you, you know, start using your phone on Shabbat. So I didn't start breaking the rules until I had gone through a, a journey of many years of questioning and, and, and coming to quite firm conclusions that the, the beliefs I held were false. Um, so I, I only 
you know, started desecrating the Sabbath and breaking the rules once I was very convinced that none of the beliefs I had were true. And, and the fear was part of the journey, but that was long before I broke the rules. So um, throughout my teens, when I was questioning, I had fear of hell because I was always told that questioning is in itself a sin. Um, but I, I got myself to the point that I allowed myself to question and I, I convinced myself that questioning in itself, you know, God won't punish me um, for just trying to discover the truth. So by the time I had come to the point of breaking the rules, I, I was already a non-believer for many months. And, and by that time, I no longer had fear, really. I, I wasn't actually afraid of breaking the rules by that point. So you kept praying and practicing the tradition despite the fact you no longer believed. But what about other people? Because I just wonder, you know, if people genuinely believe in the customs and traditions or they are born into and they do not question. Uh, so I think this is universally true for the vast majority of people living in every culture and every religion. Most people don't question the way of life they were brought up in. You know, if you were brought up a Buddhist, you're probably going to die a Buddhist. And the same, if you're brought up an atheist, you're probably going to die an atheist. I think it's true in general. People usually don't question the way of life they were brought up in. They just find a way to be happy in their way of life, whatever their culture is, whether the culture is more liberal, whether the culture is more conservative, they find a way to be happy in it. And I think that is also true for people in the ultra-Orthodox Jewish community. The vast majority just go through the motions. Um, they do what they're told and they don't question. And, and keep in mind also, this is a community that is, you know, the education is very brainwashing. Um, you know, kids are told from the earliest ages that they have to believe these things and they mustn't question. So most people just grow up and just know they don't question. And yes, I, I assume lots of people are happy. I can't put numbers on it. I don't know how many people are happy, how many are not. But, you know, this is your community. This is all you know. Um, you have family there. You have lots of support there. Um, so, and you know, you're going to find joys in life. Um, it, it doesn't work for everyone. Some people are miserable. But then again, some people in Western secular society are also miserable. So I, I wouldn't put it so much as, as, you know, people in there are miserable, people outside are enlightened and happy. I would say just that for me, I didn't believe anymore in it. And it's not the kind of community where you can just be there without believing. It's very belief-based. And if you don't believe it and you question it, there really isn't a space for you. So I had to leave. I think one thing is to understand that this community is not for you. But another thing is to take a step and to leave it. So can you remember that day when you actually made a decision to leave? Yeah, so I decided once I left, once I um, lost my faith, I decided that I want to live as a secular person. I also wanted to go to university to study. I was always very interested in scientific knowledge um, and in philosophy. I, want, I knew I wanted to go to university. So I had to leave. Um, I, of course, had no way of leaving. I didn't know anyone outside of the community. I had no money. Um, I, you know, never in my life had I been outside of the community. Um, but thankfully, I found a charitable organization called Mavar, um, which is an organization that was set up just the year before that. Um, specifically to help people in my situation. So I contacted them and they um, they gave me the first advice that I needed. They and, and they helped me with lots of things. They gave me a bit of money to begin with. Um, they found me accommodation. Um, they helped me enroll 
um, in college to, you know, to do my high school education um, on the way to going to university. And they generally advised me in, in how to go about secular life. And, and that's when I left the community and, and started to transition, so to speak, to, to, you know, secular life. How long did your transition into a secular life um, take? How much time did you need to catch up with everyone? Well, I'm still catching up in a sense. I think all my life I'll be catching up. Um, you know, there's still things missing in my cultural knowledge. You know, my friends now in university, uh, maybe movies they've seen growing up, you know, that everyone has seen and I haven't, um, some cultural references. But, you know, it's it's fine. We all we all bring to our experiences, our, our backgrounds and our upbringing. Um, but, yes, yeah, slowly over the years, it's now been five years, um, so over the years, I've learned more and more. I've become more and more comfortable in secular society. Um, and, and, and now I'm very comfortable with where I am, um, even, if, even if it's still very obvious that I didn't have a secular upbringing. I still have an accent and I still have my cultural practices um, from my upbringing. Um, but, it, it, you know, after a year or two, especially once I came to university, um, I started to feel completely comfortable in secular society. It took me two years to come to university. Um, and in that time, I, I caught up most of the essential knowledge that I needed. So how did these first two years look like? Not even years, the first months, because I assume it had an emotional toll on you because you did not even know London very well and you had to cut off ties with your family, with the community you grew up in completely. Yeah, so as soon as I as it became known the community that I left, um, most people I knew cut off ties with me completely. Most of my family um, kind of disowned me. Um, in fact, I haven't spoken with most of my family since then. To, to this very day, still haven't spoken with my grandparents, most of my siblings, my cousins, and so on. Um, so it was very difficult emotionally. It was like starting a new life completely. Um, it was very difficult to me from the beginning to, to get to know the etiquette and you know uh, to, to find work in a secular society um to live with secular people there were lots of clashes and it, it was a very difficult period for me um well, I, I was quite depressed for a while um thought at some points i thought i'm not even going to make it because I, I just it was just too much just you know suddenly going from a very sheltered and pampered um, and pampered existence to suddenly being uh, alone um, without anyone, um, but uh, over the time, I uh, over I, I made some new friends in secular society and found very supportive people who helped me, took me in, showed me their way of life, um, supported me, and and I started feeling more comfortable in general um, with with idea of living in a secular society, working a secular job. I have no doubt that the Ra people out there struggling right now just like you were struggling a couple of years ago but their fear is still bigger than their desire to break free what would you tell them what were maybe the things that helped you to overcome your fear and your doubts it's very difficult to give general advice. Um, it's very, you know, it's different for different people. Some people just 
you know, they, they, they feel they grew up a certain way. They have their family there, the support systems. And again, I should point out this community is very supportive if you're inside and you follow the rules. If you're inside, the community will look after you. You know, if you're poor, there'll be charity for you. If you're ill, people will come visit you. So it's a very supportive system. So you do sacrifice your freedom, um, but you get uh, the support of a community in return. So I think if people are happy there and they are happy to live that way, then good for them. If people are not, if people want more freedom, then I think information is the most important thing. They should, they need to know that, you know, they're going to sacrifice these support systems. It's a scary, big world outside. And, and uh, um, um, so they, they should know what's awaiting. But then it is, freedom is very rewarding. On a personal level, I, I, I never, not for a second, regretted my decision to leave. Um, it's amazing to be free, to have all these opportunities and choices. Um, so, yeah, I think this is a choice that needs to be thought of very carefully. But then again, there is uh, there is um, um, an opportunity to leave. If, you know, people leave and they're resilient, they're willing to work hard, then they will make it. And the community often portrays the picture because they, they want to scare people off from leaving. They say everyone who leaves fails and everyone who leaves ends up being miserable. That's not true. I know many, many people who have left and ended up living very happy and fulfilling lives. Um, pursuing whatever they wanted to do and you know freedom is very special you, you have a world of opportunities out there you can do anything in the community there isn't much choice you, you know you're a rabbi you're a teacher there isn't much choice and especially if you're a woman there's very little choice you have to be a mother and a wife um, and outside the world uh, in the outside world you can be anything you can be an actor you can be a doctor you can there's so much opportunity um, but that opportunity also comes with with some drawbacks that it's you know it's a big scary world and there is less community support so it's a choice that needs to be weighed very carefully but if people do want to leave and if people are determined to work hard then they, they will succeed and and they, they will end up you know off many pe most people i know end up having very fulfilling lives outside you've mentioned that it wasn't easy of course and you had hard days What was that helped you to go through these hard times and not to give up? So what helped me was was community outside. I found so when I left, I kind of rejected the community of my upbringing, but I didn't find a replacement community. And I think you know that isolation is is what ultimately got me down. Um, eventually, how I came out of it is by finding by finding a replacement community. I found a lovely community of of progressive Jews. Um, who took me in and um, uh, and and I made lots of friendships there, and I attended lots of gatherings. And I, for me, I know it's different for everyone. Some people are more extroverted, introverted. For me, just being around people, being around a nice, warm community who welcomed me in, whilst not taking away my freedom, um, really helped me. And and to this day, I'd say I'm I'm part of the Jewish community, of the wider Jewish community. So this is a community that doesn't regulate your life with rules. You know, I live a very secular life, do my own thing. Nobody tells me what to do. Nobody tells me what I can eat and when I can work. Um, but it's, it's still important to have a community. So you have remained with the Jewish community. And of course, it's important for you. But what is your relationship today with God Um, so I'm an atheist. Um, I don't do religion as such. I don't believe in, you know, in a divine law or in any kind of rules that we have to follow. 
Um, but I think that culture um, is very important and community is very important. So the Jewish community for me is a community of people who have a certain history, certain experiences of the world, a certain shared culture, and we care for each other. And and the rules is something is that's for me just part of history. You know, I, I don't have a problem eating non-kosher now uh, or doing anything else. Um, but it's, it's part of my culture, my history. And I, and I still enjoy studying Jewish texts to see, you know, where I come from, where, um, you know, just being rooted in something. And I enjoy enjoy being part of community. And I think I think it, it's good for most people to be part of a community whatever it is and being part even of a religious community doesn't mean that you need to follow the rules you need to believe in god you know i know many people who go to synagogue they don't believe in god but they go because that's where they meet friends and the same goes for for church and 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 other non-religious groups you know it's it's like it's like belonging to a sports club you know you don't believe in anything necessarily but you go you meet friends every week um you participate in some rituals and some cultural experiences and I find that quite important personally. So after you left the community, you started writing a blog about all your experiences. Did you have a sort of a particular goal? Uh, I, I don't think I had a particular goal. It was more my ramblings, just writing it out there for my friends. I I, I don't think I have a particular objective. I just enjoy writing sometimes. Um, I think also my story... Um, Lots of people find it interesting because, you know, as I said, most people just live the kind of life they were brought up to live. So, you know, you, you just go through the motions. And I think people find it interesting to see somebody who came from a different kind of life, a life where different norms and different morals um, and different expectations were held by people. Um, so I think people find it interesting when when I write about my life and my upbringing, and my experiences, and I enjoy writing. And I intend to carry on writing. Um, just um, every every now and then, when I have time, I put out a bit of writing of of my journey. And maybe one day, who knows? Maybe one day I'll publish it as memoirs or as a book or something. But even if I don't, I just enjoy the process of writing. Did anyone reach out to you, like people from ultra orthodox communities, asking your advice? All the time, all the time, I, I get messages um, from people in the community. Um, who ask my advice, who are just curious, they want to taste the waters. And some people are just people who will end up staying in the community. They just want to see what it's like. Um, and some people end up leaving. And some people who I've spoken to, I've, I've been able to guide them um, in their journey and, and they've left successfully. Um, you know, people are different. Not everyone is going to make the same decision. Even though you live a happy life right now, what are the moments or the things you miss about your previous life, about your community? Uh, well, of course I miss my family. I, I, it really wasn't my decision to be cut off from my family. If, if, if I could, you know, I'd love to still be in touch with my family, to speak with my siblings, my cousins, my grandparents. Um, so that, that's really something I miss. Um, but also uh, part of the, you know, just the, the, the community, the support, um, some of the rituals like Sabbath, you know, every Saturday, is a very beautiful day in the community. Um, people rest from work and you, you come together in families, you eat nice food, you sing nice songs. And those are, are really nice things that I, that I quite often miss. Uh, since you left the community, of course, there have been a lot of changes in your life. What is 
the thing that you are the most proud of? I think I'm most proud of of my education. I'm now in my third year of a physics and philosophy degree. Um, so, you know, I'm almost, I'm going to graduate soon with a degree. And that's something that would have been unthinkable for me five years ago. Uh, you know, uh, no one in my community goes to university. And I, I, just, I just love learning about the world and love discovering um, um, knowledge. Um, and, and I think I'm, I'm quite proud of, of how far I've came um, with, with educating myself. That is a story to be proud of. Izzy Posen, a former member of the ultra-Orthodox Jewish community in London. On our website, ibouncebag.net, you will find a blog post about Izzy with his social media accounts, and as well, I will put a link to his blog. If you like our content, please subscribe. Our next episode will be released in two weeks. I've run seven marathons on seven continents on seven consecutive days dressed as a cow. I've run well over a hundred, but I don't I don't really count them. I, I only count the value that they've had in in positivity for the for the animals. Tune in to I Bounce Back on May 20th and you will hear a very, very inspiring story. I promise. That's it for today. Stay safe, keep going, and I see you next time. Ciao!